Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. I always enjoy talking to Mitch Robbins. Mitch is with the Anthony Michael Group. I learned so much. He's a recruiter specializing in quality and regulatory in the medical device industry. He's been a wonderful resource to help me personally as we're growing our team here at Greenlight Guru. And and I hope you'll take a moment to see if he might be able to help you, whether you're looking to hire or you're looking for your next opportunity. Lots of great information and really great resource, really cares about this industry. And on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mitch talks about the four phases of the interview process. I learned a lot, and I hope you do as well. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, from time to time, uh, I've had this guest, and I'd like to say friend. You know, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. I hope, I hope that's accurate. But anyway, um, Mitch Robbins. Mitch is the managing director of the Anthony Michael Group. So, Mitch, welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. How dare you call me a friend? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like we're uh, kindred spirits in some way, shape, or form. You know, we uh, from the first conversation we had, like, all right, this this guy gets it, and and you know, it's it's clear that that um, you do operate differently. And and folks, I would encourage you if you're a quality and regulatory professional uh, looking for opportunities for your expertise to shine. Uh, get a hold of Mitch. He's at the AnthonyMichaelGroup.com. All one word, no spaces, no hyphens. And I'm sure he'd be happy to chat with you. Same goes for medical device companies who are looking for regulatory and, and quality people as well. Mitch can help you out. So let's dive into some. I mean, we've, when we've talked in the past, we've talked about you know some skills, some tips and pointers for for med device professionals. You know what they should be thinking about as far as careers concerning. I think this is probably a little bit of a continuation of that. I thought today, though, we can sort of dissect and and really break apart the interview process and and talk about some pros and cons and tips and pointers there. I I know you have a lot to offer there. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I'm excited to uh, to talk with this uh, about this topic and and thanks for sharing some insight about what we do uh, at uh, the Anthony Michael Group. So yeah, today uh, with this interview structure, lots to lots to cover. So I assume that when you talk to candidates and work with candidates, I, I mean, I'm assuming this because the people that, that you've brought to us, they, they seem extremely well prepared. So I guess talk a little bit about, you know, the, the type of work that you're doing once you, you get connected with somebody that's looking for an opportunity. I, I'm sure it's way more than them sending a resume and then you shop the resume around. So what kind of prep work do you do with a candidate first and foremost? Yeah, so that's actually uh, it's a really good piece that we should cover. So the whole purpose, the way we frame it to a candidate is the whole purpose is to get to for them to keep the ball in their court to make their own decisions. What I mean by that is for them to be able to make decisions as to whether or not they want to move forward in the process, not whether necessarily the employer wants to move forward. And the way you do that from a candidate standpoint is to establish as much value as you can throughout that initial uh, interaction, whether it's through a Zoom meeting or, or a phone call. 
And so how we prepare that candidate is a, a couple different things. One, we talk about how you've got to be as specific as possible with examples of outcomes that you've delivered. So if there's something on your resume and it shows some of the outcomes you were able to achieve, you need to be able to walk the prospective hiring manager or even a human resources specialist through what was the situation, what was the solution that helped you get to the outcome. That's one piece. The next piece that is a huge pet peeve of employers, I know this for a fact, and it's a pet peeve of mine, is when a candidate gets on the phone and cannot articulate why they're interested in that prospective organization versus I'm just here to, uh, you know, to kick tires in the interview. So we encourage them to know specifically what about this organization is intriguing to them. Why did they decide to take the opportunity to speak with, with that employer? And, and it can't be driven by the location because the location is good for my family or because the scope of responsibility is kind of what I'm looking for. It has to be something that resonates with them about the company. And then the third thing that we talk to them about is the types of questions that they can uh, ask the employer that they should ask. One of the biggest ways to demonstrate that you're not necessarily interested is not having any questions prepared. And so we really encourage any questions related to benefits or compensation is kind of a moot point and really should not be brought up, especially early on, because if there's no mutual interest, it's, it's a moot point anyways. And so the questions that we encourage our candidates to really um, walk through, especially if they've got the hiring manager on the phone, is getting to the heart of the matter. What are the two or three critical priorities you would hope this person could address uh, right away? Because the way we explain it to our candidates, if you understand what the pain is, you understand why they're hiring this person and what they really need help with, now you're in a position to discuss how your relevant experience can help them deal with those priorities right? and execute on steps that are going to accomplish those priorities. So those are some of the primary things. I, I put together a, a whole prep kit for our candidates uh, that they are able to watch and that we get on the phone and walk through it. But really, those are the most important pieces. Other than also, I've seen this too, John. I don't know if this happened to you as a hiring manager, but people letting on prematurely that they're not interested. There's Especially when somebody's gainfully employed, it's such a shame to let on prematurely that you might not be interested because if a couple of days go by and you digest the insight that you learned on that initial call and you change your mind, it's like pulling open a door with a screwdriver versus making sure that the hiring manager knows that you are interested and giving yourself the opportunity to digest and if there are any concerns, be able to go back and work through them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, and these are all things that you and your team are working with candidates on before the interview process, which, you know, and we'll talk about, you know, kind of breaking down the interview process here in a moment, but I I could say, I know when you send somebody my way that you've already done, you've already made an investment. You've already spent a lot of time with them. You've already gone through some of these basics. And I could tell you, I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but I'll repeat it that the candidates that I talk to that come from the Anthony Michael group, they're, they've done their homework. They, they know about what we're doing at Greenlight Guru. They have a pretty good idea of what the role is. They typically have a, a pretty solid list of questions, that, not like well thought out questions, you know, where they, they have a, they've kind of put themselves, at least mentally speaking, in the role and trying to understand sort of the day to day. So that's, that's made the quality of those first phone interviews that we do with candidates so much more productive. So I appreciate that work. Awesome. 
let's break down the interview. Let's talk about it. So what are the parts of the interview from, from your way of thinking about it? Yeah. So before I, I want to preface this by saying there was a study out recently. Um, I don't know how long ago, but at least within the last year, maybe two, by a company called Leadership IQ. They are quoted saying that 46% of all new hires will fail within the first 18 months. That's literally almost the flip of the coin. That's crazy. In that same time frame, they are quoted by saying that organizations reported 19% of new hires would actually be considered a success. So when you think of the stats and the way people normally interview, it's just staggering to me. Um, think about Russian roulette. There's what, six bullets in the chamber? So you're, <laughs> your odds are better playing Russian roulette than they yeah. are you know, as far as incurring a mishire. So what I'm going to share is really kind of how to help de-risk your hiring process uh, to the best of your ability and really avoid these costly mishires. And we break it down into four pieces. There is the initial assessment, there's the competency interview, there's the DNA interview, and then there's the test drive. And we can kind of go through an overview of, of each one of those if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be good. And, and I guess help me make sure we're, we're thinking about this the same way. So are we, is this breakdown of an interview from the perspective of the hiring manager or from the candidate? From the company side, yep. Okay, from the hiring manager. All right. So the initial assessment, the competency interview, the DNA interview, and the test drive. That's right. All right. So let's let's talk about you know some key points and tips and pointers uh, for for each of those. So let's start first with that initial assessment. What what is that all about? What should I be doing during that stage or phase of the interview process? Sure. So a couple things: recognizing the the talent market that we're in today, especially in the regulatory and quality space, when there's virtually what, zero, uh, almost zero unemployment. I think often employers forget to put on their selling hat early and often and really being able to flush out what the employer value proposition is and really make sure the person who's on the phone, who's more than likely gainfully employed elsewhere, truly understands what's going on there, what the overarching vision is, how this person can fit in, and maybe what the career trajectory could look like for them. So really making sure to include what the employer value proposition is, but then the initial assessment, whether it's done over the phone or it's done perhaps through video uh, interviewing, is obviously just the overview of ensuring that they've got enough of the ability uh, to do the job so that you can decide to come in and on site and do a deeper dive, which we'll get into with the competency interview. But I would encourage that it's sometimes bigger companies, they offload this to human resources and they see human resources as the gateway to the company. Uh, it's no, that's no problem. I would just encourage that um, human resources is not just checking boxes. Do you have seven to 10 years of experience? Yes, you do. Um, have you written a 510K? Yes, you have. I would really make sure that you collaborate with your hiring manager and say, okay, what are, and I'll get into this a little bit more with the competency interview, but truly what are the core competencies that is going to help predict future success? And what two or three questions can I answer or ask on the phone, share those answers with you and determine if we should move forward in the process. So in essence, the initial assessment is really a, a screen to ensure, okay, they actually can do the job they say they can do based on their resume. Yeah. And, and I know when you and I first started working together, that there was work before that. And in a good way, you kind of ripped apart 
my job description. You're like, John, what is this? This is, you didn't say garbage, but that's what I heard. This is garbage. Uh, but it was helpful. No, but it was helpful because, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an artist when it comes to writing job descriptions per se. So but you really said, well, let's tweak this. Let's work on this. Let's update this. And I think by doing so, that actually helped you as well as helped me and make sure that, that we had clarity uh, as much as possible so that we're not wasting each other's time. So there's that, that pre-work. But that initial assessment, I, I liked those tips and pointers a great deal. So I get through that initial assessment stage in the interview. And I guess before we leave that, though, I mean, do you have any um, best practices, pro tips? I mean, I typically do a phone interview as the or a phone screen, kind of as that first initial assessment. You, you mentioned video. I mean, are, what what kind of trends are you seeing, or what what tips would you recommend of one versus the other? Trends. So, I, my recommendation, if it's possible, is is a combination. I think that especially the higher level that you go, you want to be able to screen for executive presence and being able to have a video meeting versus a phone meeting really can can um, help the candidate shine. But w- one of the trends we're seeing right now is on-demand interviews where an organization will come up with two to four specific competency-related questions. The candidate on their own time can sit down and record their answer. I think there's a really? couple of things. I think, That's cool. I think... Yeah, I think on one hand, it's really cool because you're catering to the fact that you don't have to worry about scheduling conflicts and you can get a mess across the message that you want and they can get across the message that they want. The downside is it gives an opportunity for them to potentially overprepare. I see that as a potential downside. But overall, we're seeing that as a trend. And yeah, otherwise, I would say if you're asking me my opinion, I think it could be a combination of both. That's interesting. We, uh, that's, that's something I remind me that the next person you bring my way, we, we might try that because I, I kind of like that idea. Because, you know, this specifically for the role that, that I'm looking to fill, you know, th- this, these quality regulatory professionals, they're interacting with medical device companies all over the globe. And, and a lot of almost every time, well, 100% of the time is probably more accurate. It's remote, so they're they're talking to folks from you know our, our offices here in Indianapolis. Sometimes there's a video component, so you know it's a great way to to for that person to demonstrate their ability to communicate effectively and concisely. So I kind of like that idea. That's a good tip. All right. So the next phase or stage, we start to get into the competency side of things. So, what are some tips and and pointers that you can offer there? Sure. So now keep in mind, think about a, a funnel, right? We had um, a variety of candidates do the initial assessment. Now we're kind of whittling down to a smaller slate of candidates that you want to spend the time, energy, and, and money bringing on site. Now that they're on site, the competency interview really absolutely has to be done by the hiring manager because the hiring manager really knows, you know, for lack of a better term, what are the core competencies that, that this person needs to have to be able to be effective in this job. And so I'll kind of break out a structure for you of, of what this might look like. You know, when the person gets there, obviously break the ice and have some introductions and, you know, really just basically make the conversation uh, warmed up a little bit. It's a good opportunity to kind of give a recap as to what's going on with the company, maybe share some highlights since you spoke on the phone or, or did the interview. And one of the things that I would strongly recommend, give them an opportunity to ask some questions first before you dig in. There's a lot of truth that can be told here. 
it gives you an idea of what their level of interest is, depending on how much selling you have to do based on some of their questions. So it'll show you, it'll be pretty indicative of the preparation and research they've done and tell you a lot about what they find important based on the questions they are asking you. So do they ask you about challenges in, for example, your uh, quality environment or only, is it only more so questions about what you have to offer them? Keep in mind, elite talent really want challenge and they want excitement. And so if their questions are more related to, you know, what's going on and how, how uh, can they help? It's pretty indicative of the type of person you have in front of you. And also it gives you an opportunity to really know, okay, here's some of the things I want to go back and touch on to help kind of solidify their interest based on what they're telling you is important to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. For me, I mean, I want to, and this is an escalation. I mean, I, I'm, well, maybe I should not assume that. I mean, do you recommend breaking these four stages up into to four separate events or can you combine these into one or, or is that semantics? That's a great question. Yeah, no. So definitely. So that kind of gets into streamlining your process, which is another huge important piece in landing talent today is the more expeditious you can be, the better chance you're going to have in landing talent. So uh, to answer your question, no, this could be all in, in one day. It's just a matter of who's doing what in terms of who you have to meet on the team. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you're pretty familiar with the approach that we take. Um, so typically I'm the one that's performing that initial assessment. Yep. And, and then uh, the competency side of things, I will uh, pair the candidate up with somebody on, on our team, you know, so that the, my, my team member uh, can really evaluate the candidate's ability to do the job and then also give that candidate a much clearer picture of what the day-to-day is like. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So folks, let me take a, a quick pause. Just remind you that I'm talking with Mitch Robbins. Mitch is the managing director of the Anthony Michael Group. Anthony Michael Group, uh, check them out at theanthonymichaelgroup.com. Really great resource if you're looking for folks or if you're somebody that's looking, especially in the med device space. Their specialty is really quality and regulatory, but you know they're hiring in uh, all sorts of other roles as well. But uh, go check them out. And I want to take a uh, quick moment to remind you all Greenlight Guru, this is what do we do? Why are we here? So Greenlight Guru, we're the only medical device quality management software in the market today. We are designed exclusively for the medical device industry. And the product has been designed by actual medical device professionals. So that's really important, especially in today's ever-changing uh, regulatory market. All every, it seems like every week uh, we get a new notification about something some set of regulations somewhere in the world is being updated. Well, we got you covered. Uh, if you're looking for a fresh approach to quality and to streamline your efficiency and your team and get products to market faster, safer, and higher quality, then you should go check it out at www.greenlight.guru. So anyway, let's get back to the four stages of an interview. Uh, we've talked about the initial assessment. We've talked about the competency interview. Next piece is the DNA interview. So what is that all about? Sure. And I want to mention one more thing, John, before we move on to the DNA piece. So with the competency interview, another recommendation that I would, I would like to add is when a hiring manager is going through a deep dive of the person's background, you're looking for a theme to show this, to kind of be able to create a picture of what this person's career trajectory 
has looked like today. And so a lot of people, when they're interviewing, they'll start with the person's recent, most recent position first. My recommendation is to go back 10 years, or if the person doesn't have 10 years of experience, go back uh, to the person's most recent, excuse me, earliest position and ask. So I'm give you a couple of ideas of questions that you can ask. The whole purpose is you're trying to really put together a roadmap of, is this person pretty consistent over time? The other thing I would say is we've seen more success hiring for momentum versus hiring laterally. Usually when you're hiring somebody for momentum, meaning upside talent, talent that sees this as a stretch, and it might be a stretch competency-wise too, they've got a chip on their shoulder. They've got something to prove. They want to be there. It's exciting to them, and they're going to push hard. So when you're doing this deep dive across their background, a couple of the major questions that I would definitely encourage people to ask is asking about quantifiable accomplishments. You want to make sure that this person in front of you can articulate how did they help the organization either make money, save money, or improve a process that ultimately, in one way, shape, or form, moved the company forward. Not every position is tied to profitability or tied to revenue, but it is tied to process improvement in one way, shape, or form. Um, and if they can't quantifiably tell you how they contributed to at least one of those things, I would, I would have a hard time having confidence in the fact of their ability to, to help you do something similar. Um, if they can talk about quantifiable accomplishments, the next piece is, can they articulate how they did it? This is where the rubber hits the road because, again, it goes back to that situation, solution, and then the outcome. So if they can walk you through, here was the situation, here was the solution, um, it gives you some legitimate sense that, okay, yeah. this person has done what they say. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll save this to the end, but but I have a, a burning question that I want to ask you. But but let's uh, get to, well, well uh, okay, fine. Let's just do it now. So I don't know how to label this and I hope this is PC. So the fact that I'm putting that disclaimer means that it, it might not be. But, uh, <laughs> this is why we're friends. Yeah, I know. Um, the rebound. Uh, so if I'm interviewing a candidate who maybe they're their last position or the current position they're in or, or some of their previous career stops, let's say, haven't been good experiences. Um, it kind of throws a flag up for me sometimes. Like, I don't want to be the rebound employer, you know? Are they just trying to escape the the current situation or their past situation because it's been so bad? And I, I don't know. I just, it, it creates a little bit of a red flag. Uh, I just was curious what your thoughts might be on that. So I would tell you that your red flag is human nature. I think it would say a red flag for most. What I would tell you is because somebody left an organization or was terminated isn't a reason to stop a process. But do how do they explain it to you? Are they honest? Are they direct? Do they do their best to explain it? I would tell, just like when a candidate interviews for a company, I always say there's a position for everybody, but just because it doesn't just because it's not culturally right doesn't mean that there's something wrong with either party. It's just not right. So to your question, I would say a couple things. Are they transparent and explain from their standpoint, you know, what they believe was the case. And then two, a way to give yourself comfort is always uh, what we call the backdoor reference check, which maybe we can do on another podcast, but in essence, a backdoor reference check, you can call anybody. I, you can call previous supervisors and ask, for yourself. There's nothing illegal about that. All right. Good tip. 
All right, so let's now I wouldn't look. call their current supervisor. Hear me loud and clear, not their current supervisor. Uh, yeah, not their current one. Yeah, good point. All right, so let's talk about the DNA interview stage. Yep. Okay. So the DNA interview, here's what we what I call elite talent DNA. If you're a small company, this can be across your organization. If you're a bigger company, it's more applicable probably for your functional area. What you want to do is you want to look at your top performers in the organization. And you want to use maybe a whiteboard and get people in the room who are influencers within the company and brainstorm how many characteristics that these top performers share in common. You want to put up as many possible as you can. And then you want to whittle it down to potentially three to five that you think you need to be headstrong on that anybody coming into the organization needs to have the characteristic in their own right. The more you can do this and the more you can stay uh, headstrong with sticking to those three to five characteristics that you think are vital, the more you're going to build a culture of, of performance. And so what yeah. the DNA interview really is, is delegating this to other. So remember when you asked me during, you know, does this have to be multiple parts? I said, no, you could do this all in one day. This is really where you can have the peer groups or other executives, whoever else is going to be meeting this person, ask some of these questions. And in essence, DNA characteristics sound a lot like behavioral skills because in essence, they really are. So this is where a lot of the behavioral-based questions can come in. And so some of the examples, I mean, I could give you some examples. Let's see. Tell me about your best boss ever and tell me about your worst boss ever. Why? And elite talent really, in my opinion, have high expectations of their leadership because they need to feel like somebody's going to lift them up, right? And, and continue to push them. So it gives you good context into what drives them and what doesn't drive them. Um, you can ask about, tell me the work environment you thrived in the most. Tell me about the most challenging work environment you've had to work in and why. What you're trying to do is you're trying to ask questions that get at answers that will help you see if it aligns with core DNA of your company or your functional area. Does that make sense? It totally does. Um, whenever we bring somebody in, uh, we, we do the competency. Well, we do continue the competency and the DNA uh, all on site. And um, we would refer to the DNA in, in our uh, terminology as the culture interview. And so, of course, everyone on the, the team that would be working with the person is assessing that from their lens uh, as well as the competency. But we invite uh, somebody outside our organization and, and our CEO likes to play this part because, you know, he's he's the key protector, if you will, or, or promoter of the company culture. And so he'll talk to the candidate. He, he doesn't assess, you know, the technical chops or the skills or the competency of the person at all. Uh, he's just simply looking, is this person going to be a fit for, for where we are and where we're going? So I think it's really, really important. And because we've talked to people who they have the technical acumen to do the job, but they weren't going to fit with, within this uh, DNA at uh, Greenlight. So very important that you have both. Not only that, but I want to I wanna hammer this in. A lot of times organizations are in a very difficult spot where they've got pressure to deliver on their objectives and they need a butt in the seat and they overlook some of these things thinking, okay, you know what, this person can do the job, let's just move forward. I would rather see that company maybe bring on a contractor to alleviate the temporary pain versus bring somebody in who can truly 
do some major yeah. damage in a short amount of time to somebody's culture. For sure. I mean, and and I think, you know, I, I don't know, of course, how everybody does hiring in the organization. My personal approach is I, I include pretty much my entire team in the entire process. We're very transparent. I share with them the candidates that are coming in, you know, how the conversations are going. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about culture is it's a two way street. I mean, I, I can't force you, uh, to be a participant in this culture. You have to have a willingness to, to do so as well. So, you know, it's, it's both sides have a contribution to the culture. And I think because of that, you know, we've been personally, we've been in some situations at Greenlight where it's like, man, we need a butt in the seat. And, you know, we've, we've talked to some po- folks that are like, yeah, they could probably fit. And then we stuck to, we, we, it was hard, but we stuck to it. We're like, no, not a good culture fit. Not, we'd rather have a little bit more suffering, uh, have too much on our plates and, and get through this rather than make a bad hire. And I think it goes back to the stats that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. And, and I would say that uh, what John is saying right now is absolutely true because I've seen it firsthand from his organization and I have respect for that. So yeah, I think you guys do a great job of that as a company. All right, so let's uh, round it out and let's talk about the final stage of the interview process, the test drive. So this is probably one of my favorite, I should say my favorite part of what we're talking about today. And very few organizations actually implement this step and I'm not necessarily sure why. But I want to share another uh, study with you. Um, There was a study at um, the University of Massachusetts by two uh, people, two gentlemen, Brent Weiss and Robert S. Feldman. And in this study, it was found that 81% of people lied about themselves during job interviews. Um, in essence, the, the participants in the study told an average of uh, almost two and a half lies per 15-minute interview. Shut up. Yep. yep. Oh, I get it. So, no, I'm just saying that's, that's interesting to me. So it said, and what's crazy is we're on a, a podcast that uh, has a lot of technical uh, listeners that have technical backgrounds. Interestingly, interestingly, within this study, the rate of deception also increased when the job requirements were more technical. <laughs> I don't know why, but obviously because applicants were maybe trying to compensate for their lack of job required skills. But the, the reason I bring up this study is because here is truly where you have a golden opportunity to avoid uh, these, um, these dreaded mishires. A test drive, in essence, is putting your finalists, if not maybe your two finalists, in a real-life scenario with either a case study. Um, it could be a made-up one, but that's very similar to an issue you're dealing with within your business. It could be a real-life business problem that uh, the organization is trying to solve as it is. And put them in a real-life situation to perform the job that they would, in essence, perform. There is no better way to interview somebody than to give them a real-life scenario and see how they do. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, situational awareness. I mean, it's easy for us to all sit around and chit chat about the job and that sort of thing, but to actually give a, a real scenario, I think that that's uh, really good advice. So, man, this is uh, this is gold, folks. If if you're hiring managers, um, uh, I hope you take these tips to heart, and I hope you weave them into your own interviewing process. And candidates, I think you know, I, I guess if it were me looking for a job and and uh, a potential employer didn't take this sort of due diligence with me during that the interviewing process, it might raise a flag for me too. So, 
you know, this is uh, this is good uh, information on both sides of the equation. Mitch, any last tips or points that you want to leave the audience with before we wrap up this episode? Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I guess I would just say a, a word of warning on the test drive. Never surprise a candidate with a test drive. I think it leaves a bad impression as far as putting somebody on the spot without enough time to properly prepare. I would make them aware that that's going to be part of the process, but you don't necessarily have to tell them exactly what the test drive is going to consist of. You know, it's one thing to have a couple surprises as far as what the topic at hand is going to be, but at least give them an opportunity to prepare and knowing that uh, something like that is going to come. Then the other, I guess, point I'll, we can leave with is just how it's, it can be almost cliche when people say, you know, missire, missire, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, these are real live studies. Costs can be astronomical, 13, 15 times a leader's salary. And I think if you take the time to really kind of be methodical with your interview process, it doesn't need to be elongated. It can still be methodical with some of these elements. And then again, you know, I commend you and Greenlight Guru for being headstrong as far as knowing uh, what is going to work for the company and what's not. But if you are in a bind and you do need talent, you know, any day of the week, bring in a contractor before ruining your culture. That's my opinion. Good advice. Mitch, thank you so much. I always learn so much when you and I chat on these uh, podcasts. So again, thank you so much for being willing to being a recurring guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Again, folks, I encourage you to check out the work that Mitch and his team are doing, go to the anthonymichaelgroup.com, get a hold of them. I know they're ready to help. One final thing that I'll leave you with, and this is hot off the presses. Uh, of course, by the time this podcast goes live, it may not be entirely as hot as it is in the moment, but Greenlight Guru YouTube channel is alive. So go check it out. You get to see my beautiful shining face talking about all sorts of things uh, related to med device professionals. Just go to Green, or YouTube and type in Greenlight Guru and, and uh, you'll get there. There's quite a few videos, so be sure to check that out. As always, thank you so much for being uh, listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Share this with your friends and continue to keep the Global Medical Device Podcast as the number one podcast in the medical device industry. As always, it's a great pleasure to be, to be your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Thank you. <laughs>